So today is my privilege to finish this message series called The New Way of Seeing. And what is so interesting about this message series is that we all have something in common. We all have an internal narrative and internal story that we tell ourselves about how the world works. An, an internal framework, a rubric of what is our highest priority, what we value, and even our ethical, that means what is right and wrong and how things should take place. Now this internal thing is called a worldview. And everywhere in the world that you go, everybody lives by an internal worldview. What makes this so hard is that we have a, a cognitive, a conscience, conscious declaration of what we believe. But then we have an unconscious, unconscious, subconscious, unconscious falling over. That's not it. Subconscious, thanks love. Otherwise it wouldn't make no sense. A subconscious place where unless we investigate that, bring it into the light, what we say we believe and how we live that belief can be two different things. That's why Paul says, the things I want to do, I don't do. He says, I believe that, but I do these things because subconsciously he's saying, that is the right thing, but subconsciously he says, there is another entity, another spirit, another person in me that is not doing the things I want to do. But the way that this whole rubric is formed is by all the voices that constantly speaks to us. And, and these voices, this is the best image I could find on Google last night, to explain to you how vast these voices are that speaks to us and we don't even have to agree with it because the seed of what is said is falling somewhere. And in other words, right now, what the biggest danger for us is that by default of the world we live in, we're so overwhelmed here that we want to escape here and people sit, we, not people, we can sit for hours on social media, TikTok and scroll through things, Instagram and scroll through things. And we are hearing a vast amount of information that is subconsciously forming the way that we view the world. And you may find over time that what you thought you no longer think and you can't track how it happened, but you just know that I see the world different. I believe different. But what makes this so hard in the midst of all of this is that you and I know that we as followers of Jesus, every morning that you get out of bed, I get out of bed, our feet are in the dust. We are living in an American culture. Now, you, you know, coming from another culture, um, there are some things that were radically different in our American culture to our South African culture. Um, and I just had to get used to that. 
um, we just had to adopt. But for the last 23 years, a lot of other things have been shifting, moving, and it forms the way that you conduct and live yourself. Now, Paul wants to remind us something. He says, since we have now become children of God, since we are now followers of Christ, he says, let me remind you something. I would love for you to read with me. He says, but we, come on everybody, read with me. For we are different. What do you mean? Because our citizenship is in heaven. In other words, what he is saying, hey, you have a passport right now. Let me do a halo on top of that. Yo, you have another passport. You have another culture, another kingdom you belong to. You, you say, well, what are you even saying? I am saying that having another citizenship brings you under the authority of that citizenship and brings the culture of that citizenship. Remember, I shared with you last week what bothered me most. I preached against it for five years probably. is the way that Americans, that's including all of us, answers the phone. I would call people and then they say, what? And I go like, oh my God. I'm, it's Pastor Pierre from the Father's house. Oh, hello. I go like, oh. They demon possessed. What just happened from what to oh hello? And I soon began to realize, no, that is how people answer the phone over here. By the way, I think it's a terrible way to answer the phone. To sound like you're working for the mob is not a good first impression. I quickly realized it's part of the culture. It's not. But Paul is saying, I want you to know that you are living in this world, but representing another kingdom. Jesus, when his disciples says, teach us how to pray, he said, our Father, come on, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as is in heaven. In other words, you and I, are the ambassadors of another kingdom. So Jesus, as he walked around and he was loving people, healing people, when they see him, he says, when you see these things, the kingdom of God has come close to you. In other words, when you see a contrast to the culture that you are in, but it's not just weird, it is another when there's love instead of hate. It's another kingdom that's been lived out. When there's forgiveness instead of jealousy and rage, it's another kingdom that you are living out. And, and the reason why I say why this is so important for you and I to see is because we are in a place right now where you and I, and there is something that I underlined here that I want to read to you that is so important, that you and I need to understand that the world we are living in, there are two powers that bubbles under the surface that has a keen interest to form your worldview. Paul reminds us, don't be misled. There is an enemy. There is 
a being that's intelligent and conniving since the beginning of time that wants to shift the truth of how you live and what you pursue and if you buy into that you will begin to live as a citizen of heaven in a oppressed toxic way of living which is contrary to what God has redeemed you from now what I mean by that is the world we are living in if you were to ask people what do you want in life most people will tell you I just want to be happy now that phrase I just want to be happy is not been one that has been with us forever because happiness right now is the pursuit of my every moment and there was a book that was written uh, it is called the twisting of the American mind that says we have now replaced happiness for pleasure um, no longer do we understand what happiness is we want pleasure I'm gonna explain it to you this way um, because you see in order to get you to pursue happiness I have got to move you from a place of being content content to discontentment what does that mean let me let me show this to you we have advertising agencies and if you're working for one I'm sure yours is just fine but advertising agencies and I want to be very careful how I say it the danger is that the church itself can fall in this trap of being an advertising agency that tells you until you get something you will not be happy but you have got to pray on discontentment to promise a something that will give you contentment and happiness only to know that if your promise is true you will make one sale in your life but you've got a half promise and over promise so that people will pursue that thing and once they get that thing uh, you can only celebrate them for a moment before you've got to let them know you know the pickup truck that you purchase that's got the automatic everything we thought it would make you happy but we have now designed a new and improved pickup truck this one has got a butt massage in not only that the screen is seven inches bigger when you get in it plays your favorite music it's got LEDs all around and when you touch the steering wheel it sings you are a champion and, and, and you need to get this because we thought the other one would make you happy but since our developers have been driving this they sleep better they're better families it's proven that the digestive systems is flowing better because the massaging has now been proven to make everything work and your pickup truck was perfectly fine until you heard that there is something that you are missing and if you get to that then you will be happy you see the message is always one of discontentment to a promise that there is a thing that's ever morphing that you've got to get in order to be happy can I tell you how subtle and corrosive this is I watched a TED talk where 
the scientists were speaking that we're living in an age where people no longer divorce because they are unhappy. They no longer divorce because of cheating. They are divorcing a perfectly fine marriage because they believe they can be happier somewhere else. I deserve to be happy. And if I deserve to be happy, then no job commitment, no decision, no nothing is going to keep me in a place of good that doesn't make me happy. And I want you to know that happiness is fleeting. Happiness is ever fleeting because your wife was is perfectly fine until you watch TikToks that tells you to have an open relationship is the way to more happiness. You try to sell it to her and she says, I swear as anything, I will beat you up and I will move back to my mother. And you go like, I deserve more. I deserve more. What I'm telling you it's funny, but we all are susceptible to it. Do you know how I know? Go to your Amazon account. How many of you visit your Amazon account? And you go like, what was I thinking? Why did I buy all this stuff? Drive around in your neighborhood on a Saturday morning and see the amount of garage sales. Because we have bought into this consumerism mindset that there is something that will make us happy. Now, I want, I want to just go to this and take you back to the book of Genesis. Play Genesis music, Rufus. Garden music. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And as God came on the scene, He had already in mind a world that He would create. Not for himself, but for the ones he would create that would carry his breath. God began to imagine what they would need. Because he is God, there is not a single thing that he cannot create. And because he made man, he knows everything that they will need for them to be fully alive. So God created streams and trees and animals and birds and fish. The sun and the moon and the stars. He put uh, Orion's belt in the sky because maybe they will look up and see the expansiveness of the universe and be reminded that I will forever bring beauty around their lives. And everything was great until the snake came into the garden. The Bible says he was more shrewd and conniving than anything that God has ever made. Now, the word shrewd is so important because, you see, the word shrewd simply means clever at achieving one's aim by indirect or direct deceitful measures. Adam and Eve was perfectly happy until he said, hey, you can eat. You can't eat from all the trees. No, no. You can't eat from all the trees, but one tree. He's saying you can't eat from any of the trees. Because there, there is a tree. And God knows if you eat from that tree, you'll be like him. And you know how happy you're going to be when you're just like him? 
They've never considered that ever. But he is praying on their contentment to make them discontent so that they would pursue something instead of someone to fulfill what actually is already fulfilled. And the Bible says this. Oh, this is so good. The Bible says, and when the woman was, oh, come on, say it with me. The woman was convinced. You know, there is nothing that you buy that you don't buy if you don't get to a place of being convinced. Have you ever wanted something you know your wife's not going to buy into it? And you stand there and say, I'm going to convince her. And then you call it an investment to your health. Come on now. Wives, you've got to convince your husband. And you call it an investment to your beauty in the future. You call it something because you know you've got to convince somebody of something that they don't have right now. And happy they will be if they get that. And she what? And in other words, everything that is a snare for us is in our line of sight. The advertising agencies know that. They can advertise toilet paper and you go like, I'm going to leave, I'm going to go to Wegmans right now. If I don't get six ply Vic scented, I, I cannot go to the restroom one more time with two ply. I've punished myself long enough. I work hard. I deserve a soft ride. That's just the way it is. Guys, think about this. How much can you improve on toilet paper? I'm just asking. But they know our discontentment is our vulnerability to deception. She saw that it was beautiful and it looked delicious. The Bible says God created trees with abundance of fruit and everything that's needed to sustain life. But all of a sudden, that no longer is enough because there is a promise of more happiness in what they don't have. And the Bible says she also gave to her husband. Why is this so important? Because I want to talk to you about consumerism. Now, this is hard for me because I am in the bunch. I am susceptible and I could be as, um, I could be the worst sinner of us all. And it's not, well, sinner is a bad word. What I'm not saying is let's go off the grit, go to Guyana, eat bananas, and live in the palm. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm not saying, what I'm not saying is that we have got to live with as little as possible. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm not saying is that if you have uh, beautiful things in your life, now you can't invite anybody to your small group. You've got to rent an empty apartment and go like, look, I'm such a Christian. I have nothing here because Jesus is my happiness. No, no, no. The Bible says he created all things for our pleasure. But, but where we find our joy is not the things that is being created. It's not in the gift, it's in the giver. 
it is in his goodness is not in the good things now the first thing I want to tell you about consumerism is the belief that I am what I own if you believe that you will have more respect when you have more if you believe that you will have more self-esteem and self-worth when you have more then consumerism hasn't trapped you but we are all there because if you and I had to get into an elevator and you know elevator is always a place of I, I, I get I get extreme um, verbal irresponsibility in the elevator because I feel so awkward because everybody's always taller, you know what I mean? I feel with they go like, hi, um, what, who are, hi, I'm Pierre. Um, um, what do you do? Uh, whatever they reply determines how I will treat them. If somebody says, hi, yeah, uh, uh, my name is John and, and I race horses for a living. I've got four thoroughbreds and we just won the K K Kentucky Derby. Um, how would you respond to that person? Versus, hey, my name is Bob, and I just unplunged the toilet up there, so just plug your nose. And um, yeah, I've got a crappy job. Yeah, for, for the racehorse person, you go like, oh my goodness, what a privilege to meet you. Would you, would you want to drink? Oh, hey, when's the next race? Tell me, tell me the numbers. Tell me the numbers. For the other guy, you go like, is there not a service elevator? Where, who, who's the manager? Who's, who's the manager? Why? Because to what they are is to the way we'll treat them because somehow we think our position in life is determined by what we own. That is why there is always a disposition with people because the higher you climb, the more you lose focus of those who are not where you are. And Jesus says, let it not be so among you. Jesus says, in my kingdom... Let the one who is unworthy come and sit in the front because they are most worthy among you. Let the one who thinks he is the best understand that the least among us is greater than John the Baptist. In my kingdom, it's upside down. In my kingdom, we don't have classifications of income or of color or of race or of jobs. In my kingdom, we are children, we are brothers, we are sisters. We esteem each other more than ourselves. The second thing is we practice striving for autonomy and self-sufficiency because you see, we don't want to need other people. And we make our highest goal to get as much money as we can. Because without money, consumerism is only a frustration. So we have got to get. We've got to make money. We wake up and we've got to get money. We will lie through our teeth to get a deal. Because your high school friend has been to the Bahamas and he's a jerk. And why should he go? I just got to make money. Just got to make money. Just got to make money. And we always read what we want to believe. Honey, look how happy Chad is. He couldn't even pick up a paperclip. We've never been to the Bahamas. Look how happy they are. Because we believe, consumerism believes that we should go. And the toxic believers, happiness is my highest goal. Guys, if happiness is our highest goal, then I want you to know 
that it is a pursuit of something that will always move just out of your reach. It will destroy everything in your life. If happiness is your highest goal, I'm going to ask you the question, are you happy all the time? And the answer is no. And if you have got to move out of every situation of not being happy, where will you be? Because I can tell you this, you think, oh, remember when your wife fell pregnant and then you said, imagine what it's going to be like with a little baby. And you always project it to Christmas. And you go like, oh, it's going to be beautiful. You know, we're just going to sit as a family and you're going to hold him. And then I'm going to make him jump in the sun in front of the fire. And little Devin is going to be a gift from heaven. And he, we're going to, I'm so teary right now. Yeah, then Devin comes. And Devin comes out of a back room where things didn't work well in construction. Devin is jumping up and down, but he poops in his pants and it's your turn to, to clean. And you go like, I had my turn. Devin doesn't want a bath. Devin is stubborn. Devin wakes up in the middle of the night. You go like, this doesn't make me happy. I'm going to tell you one thing. Kids will not make you happy. But there is no greater happiness than no, the joy of children is not in them making you happy. And my job is not to make them happy. Because if I'm going to make my kids happy, I create a terrible nightmare for whoever they marry. Or write that down. Yeah, get that tattoo. But if all they say is, I just want to be happy, you say, I agree. They'll go to math class and say, this is not make me happy, I'm done. Okay. You were happy with your wife until you saw your middle school girlfriend on Facebook. She photoshopped herself. <laughs> Ooh, I'm preaching good now. She's wearing a, a fake Louis Vuitton handbag. You go look, look at her. I'm not happy. Because she makes me take the trash out. She, she doesn't even have trash. Come on, you know I'm preaching good right now. It's a trap. It's a trap. Because we, how we define happiness is the very trap that was set for Eve. You see, the other thing is that it expresses itself in transactional relationships. Oh, this is hard to talk about. Have you ever feel used? I can give you a recipe. Tell people that you have more money than what you have. Tell them a different job title to what you have. Pretend that you are something that they want to be. Pay for every meal. You always will have friends. 
Because it's transactional. They want to be with you because of what they can get from you. And when they can't get from you, what they think they can get from you, then they want to not be with you anymore. Transactional relationships is when you invite people, but you have an agenda of what you want from them. And if they can't give it, then you don't want to be with them anymore. Transactional relationships is that I'm in relationship to something because I have an agenda of what I want to get from that someone. And if they cannot give that to me, then I treat them like I've never known them. Can I tell you something? That there is a transactional relationship with God and the church if consumerism is where you act. If you're our guest this morning... It's not you. I'm just going to have a little internal conversation. You know how devastating it is when we have a consumer mindset and it comes to God? Because we think God is there to give us everything we need in order to be happy. And if God doesn't answer that prayer, then I am just so done with God. We think that Jesus had to die to give us a bigger house. You think that the father sits in heaven and go like, look, son, they just moved into a seven-bedroom house. Wow, well done for dying for them. You, you, you think that God owes you? And here is where uh, contemporary gospel is dangerous. And I want to say, I think I've been guilty at times to preach it in a way that is loaded with promise where it's consumerism in the invite. Hey, if you give your life to Jesus, your life will never be the same again. You'll be happy, you'll be healthy, you will be blessed and anointed, you'll be filled with the joy of God. You won't be sick, you won't suffer, you'll be the head and not the tail. You will be above and not under. Oh, you will reign forever. You'll get increase. You will get prosperous. You will get a, a promotion. Oh, and nothing will ever harm you. Uh, can I tell you? The gospel says you've got to die in order to live. And you will know him through suffering. Yeah, your life will never be the same again. Because sometimes you will go through the valley of the shadow of death. Oh, and you will fear. But don't fear because God is with you, will never leave you or forsake you. At times, you will go through the, through the darkest time. But don't worry, joy comes in the morning. That sometimes your night is nine years, but joy is coming. But nobody wants to tell you of the nine years because it doesn't sell well to give your heart to Jesus. And in the same way, we have got to be so careful because consumerism makes attending church a service come on say this is the service you know what a service is is something that you go to be serviced if you're sitting there today with a consumer mindset which I guarantee you probably all of us to some agree believe today that something has got to be given to you in enough measure for whatever you want in order for you to return next week. Because statistically, people right now have five churches that they randomly visit, but they are not committed to one. Why? Because commitment means limitation to my happiness. Because what if it doesn't go well in that church? What if the worship leader has got seven off Sundays that he just 
stinks at what he does? What if the message is not working for you and scratches in a hard place for you? What if you're confronted by your bad attitude? You go like, well, I'm just so out of here. Uh, it, what, what, what is it? Because the moment you leave with a consumer mindset, you, you go like, well, did I feel goosebumps during worship? Why do they sing so long? And Pastor P really started well, then he got really into my business. Who does he think he is to get in my business? I'm just so done. I like churches where they preach 20 minutes and we're done in an hour. I like those kind of churches. And I want you to know that there is a consumer mindset because you cannot grow and be fruitful when you have a temporary residence. You don't plant flowers. You don't bring a family. And the Bible says, planted in the house of the Lord. You will flourish in the courts of our God. You will be fruitful even in old age. This is not a service. This is a family gathering. This is where you belong. This is where people know your name. And I just got to be honest with you. You know, so many people say, why don't we ever see you in the lobby? Because of the transactional relationship that you have with me. You want something that you don't know what it is. And you want to tell me something and then you expect me to give it to you. You don't understand. There's 27 people that give me something and they expect me to call them back before the night. And in that moment, you know the amount of letters that I've received to tell me I'm a sucking pastor because I didn't call within 24 hours, not understanding that I am not the answer to solve your problem. I am here to create environment when there's no obligation. When there is no obligation but to love, I can really love well. And I would love to be loved by you, but I don't want people to leave church because I don't want to be the reason why they say, he didn't call me, he doesn't care. So I would rather not be there than be tripped up by you not getting what you want and you don't even know what it is you want but I need to deliver what you want. Otherwise, you'll go to the next church and do the same thing to them, what you want. Not understanding, it's not what I have, it's what we all bring together to the house of God that makes up the house of God. Oh, this is a good message. I think so. I think I'm going to listen to it. It's harsh. It's hard because you see the question in every mind and every worldview is who becomes God? Consumerism is there are objects and experiences that will give me what only God says I can give you. This is hard. This is hard. Jesus says, my kingdom is right standing with God because of Christ. And with that comes peace. And when you're in right standing with God and you have peace, you will experience a joy that is unspeakable. 
It comes from the source. Jesus says, if you believe in me, as scripture says, out of your innermost belly will flow rivers of life. He says in the message, so much life that you will be unable to contain it. And when we begin to focus on the life giver instead on the objects of what has been created by people who want your money and who praise on your vulnerability of being content or discontent i want you to know the moment that you cut that off and realize there are good things but it's not going to make me happy i think one of the hardest questions that you can ask your spouse is what do i owe you what do I owe you? Because we all have the expectation. You owe me to take care of me, to love me. The moment you can make a list, you have a transactional relationship. You know what you owe me? Nothing. And everything. Because nothing means I'm not obligated, but because I love, I will give you everything. But the moment it's transactional, there is debt that gets incurred. And if it's not given, or if you give it, they are not thankful. Let, let, let me explain it to you this way. I'm going to finish this up. Let me explain it this way. If I randomly come up to you and I give you $500, well, for some of you, $500 is spit. Let's say you are really struggling to pay rent and I give you $1,000. The way you will thank me is different than when... I borrow $1,000, I don't pay you back for a year, and then I give you $1,000 back. If I owe you that $1,000, you're going to say, it's about stinking time. When there's no obligation, you're going to be overwhelmed with gratitude. I want to say this to you, God owes us nothing. He owes us nothing. You know why? Because He already gave His everything. He gave His Son so that you and I can be transformed out of darkness into the kingdom of God. That is why I want to say to you, that is why your giving to the family, giving to the local church is always a reflection of how deeply you've been entrapped by consumerism. Because consumerism says, why should I give? It didn't do anything for me. And that's why with churches, some churches say, don't take the offering in the beginning because people haven't felt anything. Do it at the end. You sing a last song, they get goosebumps, and then they go, oh, today was good. I'll put 20 to that. And oh, they had a solo. I'll put another five to that. You pay for service. This is not so with you, Jesus says. This is not how it works. You give because it is God's. And when you give, it secures his family, his kingdom. It secures the work that God wants to do. Listen, business people, he has blessed you not for status. He has blessed you for service. He has given you more and disproportionately more than most people. He is giving it to you so that you can be the funnel and the very flow of what God wants to heal in the world. If all you do is take, 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 consume, and you feel better about yourself, you're going to die and everything's going to go back in the box. And you are going to arrive and there is no crown of life awaiting you as a reward because you have lived with a consumer mindset as a kingdom citizen. We've got to understand. We have got to fight everything that the world is telling us because Jesus says, 
It is not so with you. So Pastor P, land this plane. Okay. I want to emphatically declare today that God is the only source. You know what Paul says? He says, I have experienced poverty and riches. I've had nothing and I've had plenty. If I wrote there, I would have said, by the way, plenty is better than nothing. It's not what he says. He says, but in this one thing I know, no height, no depth, no width can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You know what he says? doesn't matter. When I had nothing, I was as happy as when I had some things. And I want to say this to you. That is why some of you are in your 50s, moving into your 60s. You are fearing the future because you have put your, your security and your happiness of the future and how much is in your 401k. I want you to know it will have your source. It is not your source and your life is not over at 55. God wants to use you. He wants you to be a kingdom citizen living a life that is overflowing with the goodness of heaven. So, he says this, last scripture, come on, high five your neighbor and say, you're doing so well, so, so well. <laughs> First Timothy says this, now there is, oh, come on, everybody, there is in godliness with, yeah, for we brought, yes, and we cannot take. Why did Tutankhamun not read the scripture? Because grave robbers stole everything that he thought he could take with. And I want to say this. I've buried many people. And while people are crying around the grave, the bomb's about to go off when they have a lot of resources. Because everybody feels entitled to what they had. And how do we arrive on the other side? That's why the Bible says in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 12. I think I can still get down. Romans 12. Verse 2. Open your heart. Listen to what the Spirit of God is whispering to us as good people. We're not bad people. But the amount of voices that we allow to shape our story versus the amount that we allow the Word of God to reshape our true identity. He says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Another translation says, do not allow the world to press you forcibly into its mold. He says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, let the word of God shape in you a story that is better than the story the world holds. I spoke to somebody once on the plane I told them about the kingdom of God. And he goes like, that's not how you run a race. You will lose in life if you live that way. 
made a lot of sins. Because if you're in the corner office, you've got to connive, you've got to make enemies, you've got to go, all of that stuff. And then out of my mouth came these words, Sir, I'm running a different race. Running a different race. You are running a different race. You are running a different race. You, am I preaching poverty? No. I'm preaching security in God. And then everything that He gives, I've got to protect contentment in all things. Thankfulness for what I have. Which means some of you, maybe you drive a 64 Chevy that's held together by wire and rusted screws. And next to you, the devil had somebody park with a brand new BMW that now gets plugged in. And the devil is sitting on the hood waiting for you. You know how you defeat him? By walking to your shave and go like, you beautiful thing. I'm so thankful for you. I don't have to walk. I love your rusted nails. You have survived so many years of faithfulness. You know how you survive infidelity? By taking your spouse, look him in the eyes and say, you're the most beautiful, developed, morphed human in the planet. There is nothing else my heart can ever desire because everything else is photoshopped. I am thankful for you. Has to take, I'm going to tell you the last story. You know, every time I visit my parents in Africa, and it's such a gift because for COVID we couldn't go back. I'll speak of personal experience. Every time I walk in my parents' house, they're 84 and 90. The house feels poor. Have you ever visited your family home and walk through their stuff and it feels like they've become poor? I said to my wife, you take them to the mall. I'm going to get painters. I'm going to paint this joint out. I'm going to throw out this old furniture. This has been here for 40 years. Look at this stinking cup. I drank out of it. This cup is like 50 years old. Are you kidding me? We're going to throw the cups out. We're going to go and buy them everything new. You know what my parents would say? We like what we have. Don't change it. You buy me new furniture, it's going to take me five years to work out the butt-in fold of how I sit. When I pick up that cup, it's 50 years of memories that I'm holding in my hand. The TV with the bunny ears, I don't want to watch anything else but Oprah and the news. I'm happy. I'm content. Don't paint it a different color. I love the faded beige that has become brown, and I think it's turning yellow. I like it that way. And the skirting board, the, the board on the side, you know when that happened? It happened when we just heard your mother was pregnant for the third time. Don't change it. It's a reminder of God's goodness. Because what I think will make them happy is not what makes them happy. They have reached contentment. They have reached happiness because they realize it's not in stuff. It's in Him. It's in Him who is faithful to keep them. It's in Him who has been faithful from the beginning of time. It's in the good shepherd that watches over their children and their grandchildren. It's in the legacy that they carry. I'm here to tell you, church, the way to defeat.
defeat the trap that was set for us all. Let's be thankful and turn your eye on God and begin to thank Him for whatever you're going to eat. For some of you, you're going to eat filet. Others, you're going to eat chitlins. Others, collard greens. And others, chicken wings. Stop looking around to compare your life. And be thankful. If you can't reach thankfulness, tell me. I will give you a country in Africa you can go to. And see how people picks up grain out of the soil when trucks deliver grain. And if they get 20 kernels of grain, they consider themselves blessed. I don't know how to end. Ooh. Who moved the clock forward? What the heck? It will be a good time to receive an offering right now. But I will not do it because you're going to say I leverage this whole message. But I think some of you, the only way you're going to break consumerism is not to go home without contributing to your family. For some of you, stop visiting other churches. Ask God where he wants to plant you. And be planted. Be planted. Be planted. Be thankful. Show up. Whatever is ugly in your life, God will make beautiful when you show gratitude, thankfulness, thankfulness. Huh. Say thank you, Lord. Say thank you, Lord. Say I want to thank you, Lord. Oh, Lord, oh, yeah. I just want to One more time, just you, come on. Say thank you. Say thank you, Lord. Come on, everybody, let me hear you. Say. Oh, come on, sing it now. I just want to thank.